Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Mind of Sport. In today's episode, how can the best golfer in history be so bad? And why can't Floyd Mayweather get enough of boxing? If you like the episode, please like and comment or subscribe and share it with your friends. Now, let's dive into the mind of sport. To start off today, let's go back one year when the greatest golfer of all time, Tiger Woods, made his triumphant return to the sport by winning the Masters. Now, only one year later, he puts in his worst performance on a hole as a professional ever. On hole 12 during this year's Masters, Tiger Woods hit a terrible 10-stroke hole on what was supposed to be a par 3. He didn't hit the water once, not even twice, he hit the water three times on this particular hole. When asked about it afterwards, he said, This sport is awfully lonely at some times. No one is going to bring you off the mound or called in a sub. You have to fight through it. Why is it that when things seem to go wrong in sports, they tend to go wrong a lot? And how is it that highly skilled professional athletes can quickly unravel and almost look like amateurs? To understand this, we have to take in two really important things into account. And both things work in tandem here to make this particular moment with Tiger Woods happen. The first thing is the way the brain of a professional athlete works. And the second thing is Tiger Woods himself and the way he trains and prepares for competition. Now, let's start with that first thing. What's really interesting about the brains of professional athletes is that they are awfully specific. So we expect athletes to be good at sport in general, and this is true to a certain degree, but in general, actually they're very good at one very small thing. To illustrate my point, let's take an example of the greatest basketball player ever, Michael Jordan, because he provides a really good insight in how this specificity works because when he first retired he went to go and play baseball as I'm sure a lot of people know have watched The Last Dance recently. At best he was a mediocre professional baseball player. He wasn't bad and he probably did a lot better than a lot of normal people would have done but he wasn't able to transfer his amazing athletic ability and his skill at basketball into baseball. Now you could argue that these are two completely different sports with different uh, required skill sets and things that make you successful. So why would this apply to Tiger Woods in this particular situation? I mean, he is still playing golf. He is playing it on a course that he has played before and he probably made a few of those shots before in his career. But specificity is even more specific than not being good at baseball because you were good at basketball. Let's take another example. And it comes from baseball too, but now compared to softball. Jenny Finch is an American softball pitcher that has won medals at the Olympics and many other accolades in her own country. 
And when you look for her name on YouTube, you'll find a whole series of videos in which she goes up to MLB hitters and challenge them to hit her pitches. Now, you might think this is an easy task. Softballs tend to travel slower, the ball is bigger, and these are the best baseball hitters in the world. However, what happens is actually really interesting. They are unable to hit the balls. There are these superstars that get thrown out of the game by a softball pitcher. And it shows really what the specificity of skills is all about. The skills you have in a sport are so specific that they do not easily transfer between sports or situations that are very specific. But not only that, they also don't necessarily transfer between different conditions or different locations. So in essence, to your brain, hitting a baseball in Stadium A is not the same as hitting a baseball in Stadium B. And on top of that, they don't necessarily transfer between different emotional states. What I mean by that is that hitting a baseball when you are angry to your brain is not the same as hitting a baseball when you're relaxed. And this explains a lot why people tend to do better in practice than they do in competition. They're good at executing their skills under a relaxed, non-pressured environment, but the moment that the emotional state changes, they're a lot worse at executing their skills. Now, why is this important to Tiger Woods? Well, think about it. He is the best golfer that has ever played the game. How often do you think he gets into situations in which he is in the water? Not once, not twice, but three times. It probably hasn't happened for a very long time in his career. So those shots are not necessarily the same as the ones he takes when everything goes to plan. The moment that first shot doesn't go where he wants it to go, he is suddenly in a situation that he is way less familiar with than if everything went the way he wanted to. Now, if he hasn't practiced these particular shots with this particular pressure at this particular court, he will not be as good as those as maybe other shots. So, in essence, he turns from the best professional golfer ever into just a really good golfer. And that, at that level, can make the difference between winning and being last. Now, on top of that, in Tiger Woods' case, this might be even more exaggerated. And this is because he is the embodiment of the 10,000-hour rule. Now, if you've never heard of the 10,000-hour rule, it's a theory that says that if you engage in what we call deliberate practice for 10,000 hours, you will be an expert at anything you would want. It doesn't believe in talent or anything like that. If you can get the hours, you can be an expert. Now, I'm not saying that Tiger Wood doesn't have any talent for golf. He probably does. But the way he practices is very structured and very deliberate. And with deliberate, I mean, there's always a focus on improving when he practices. However, he believes that doing the same action 
thousands of times is what's going to get him to the highest level. And this works. This works really well. As we can see, he's the most successful golfer ever. But this way of practicing is very specific. It is probably the most specific way you can practice a particular skill. And that also brings with it the downside of specificity, which is that those skills you practice do not necessarily transfer to different situations, different courses, different environments, and different emotional states. So the way Woods practices, combined with the fact that this particular situation was very unlikely to happen, meant that he didn't have the flexibility to deal with it and ended up getting 10 strokes on a hole where you were only supposed to get three. Now you can avoid this very specific type of training and it's called differential training in which you use different situations, different uh, environments, different emotional states and kind of just all throw them together and let your body and your brain figure out how to deal with each one of them. And this also has upsides and downsides. It is less specific, allowing athletes to be more creative and more flexible during competition, but maybe a little bit less good at those really expected situations. With the success that Tiger Woods has had over his career, I don't think you can argue with the fact that he's gone about this in a sensible way. If you win this much, I don't really think at the end he's going to mind this 10-stroke hole. But it is really interesting to see how a combination of the environment and the situation and the way somebody reaches the highest level in their sport can make it that in certain situations, they're just not that good. The second story today comes from the world of boxing where boxing legend Floyd Mayweather announced a comeback. He will be returning to the sport against a later-to-be-determined opponent at an event called Mega 2021 at the age of 43 years old. Mayweather is the most successful boxer ever and is unbeaten with 50 wins and zero losses in, well, obviously, 50 fights. However, after his latest bout with... MMA superstar Conor McGregor, he said, this was my last fight, ever, definitely, this really was my last fight. So why would somebody come back from saying something like that and revert his decision and come back anyway? Now some people will say, oh, doing for the money, etc. But Floyd Mayweather has made over $1 billion with boxing in his career. It has earned him the nickname Money, so it seems unlikely that that's really what is going on here. Now, some other people might say, well, he's addicted to the sport, he can't go without it. And there's some truth in that, in my opinion, but it's a bit too easy. Because I don't think he's addicted to the sport. However, I think it has to do with a concept called athletic identity. Athletic Identity is a concept that refers to the amount of somebody's total identity that is taken up with their life as an athlete. To understand what that means, take a second to ask yourself what the answer to the question is, 
who are you is for you. In my case, I would say, well, I'm a mental performance consultant. I'm a coach, but I'm also an athlete in some ways. I also am a musician in some way. I like to make music. And on top of that, I have my social circle, my friends, my relationship. So if I had to put a percentage on the amount of my total identity that is taken up by my identity as an athlete, I probably wouldn't get much further than 20, 25%. So now take an instance in which I'm suddenly not allowed to be an athlete anymore. And this means that suddenly 25% of my identity has been taken away from me. And I need to fill that somehow because I can't be 75% of a person. But for me, that's only 25%. I can fall back on the other things. Maybe I'll start coaching more. Maybe I'll spend some more time with friends. So those percentages become larger. Overall, I always need to be 100%, but I have other things in my life that I could use in order to fill that gap in case I wasn't allowed to be an athlete anymore. Now let's take a look at Floyd Mayweather. Most of his adult life has been spent as a professional boxer. So it is very likely that if you ask him that same question, who are you? He will say, I am a professional boxer. The part of his total identity that is taken up by his identity as an athlete is going to be really big. It might even get close to 100% because everything in his life is due to or because of his career as a boxer. Think about stepping into your car, knowing that you earned it uh, through boxing. Your house through boxing. Maybe you met your partner through boxing. Your friends are from boxing. The moment he retired, that whole part of his identity was gone. His daily routine of training, nutrition, all those kinds of things were gone. So now we have an athlete that went from being 90% a boxer to being 0% a boxer. What do you do with that time? How do you fill it? Some athletes find really good replacements. We see athletes that go into coaching, others go into punditry, or they do completely different things. But there is also a group of athletes that just cannot find a different way to spend their time, a different way to fill their, their identity. And these are often the athletes that make some kind of late comeback. A great example of this is F1 legend Michael Schumacher, who came back a few years after he first retired and just never was as good as he could be anymore. But he just needed to be a racing driver because that's what he was. That was his identity. So maybe Floyd Mayweather has been sitting at home thinking, what besides a boxer am I? What is it that is my identity if I take away boxing? And maybe the answer was not much or nothing. This can really explain why somebody who is so successful, who doesn't need the boxing for anything else, can decide to come back. The only trouble is, is he going to be as good as he used to be? Because even though he might be missing the identity part of that, at 43 years old, he might not have the physical 
or mental abilities to be at his very best. And unfortunately, very often, these athletic identity comebacks don't end well. And one last thing is, at some point, people with really high athletic identity are going to have to find something else. The comeback is only something that delays that point. He is going to have to find a different identity for himself at some point. A comeback might delay that by a year or two, but then he'll be in the same situation again in two years. So hopefully, throughout this comeback, we will also hear some stories about what he's planning to do next. What is he going to do to try and fill that gap that not being an athlete has created? That was today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please like and comment or share it with your friends. And I hope to see you again in the next episode of Inside the Mind of Sport.